Hi, I'm Jane O'Reilly, and this is Ageless. I'm 40, and my life is just getting started. I'm here to share real talk and real experiences about how to live life ageless. Nothing's off the table. You know the vibes. Let's go. Welcome back to Ageless. I'm Jane O'Reilly, and today I am joined by TJ Woodward. He is a revolutionary recovery expert, best-selling author, inspirational speaker, educator, and addiction treatment specialist who has helped countless people through his simple yet powerful teachings. He created the Conscious Recovery Method, which is a groundbreaking and effective approach to viewing and treating addiction. TJ is also a featured thought leader on wholehearted.org, along with Brene Brown, Marianne Williamson, Dr. Gabor Mate, and Mark Lundholm, as well as a featured thought leader in the upcoming docuseries, Addiction Revealed, which will be released in early 2023. TJ was ordained as an Agape minister by Dr. Michael Beck with and was also the founding minister of the Agape Bay area in Oakland, which was the first satellite community of the Agape International Spiritual Center in LA. TJ is also the author of the best-selling books, Conscious Recovery, A Fresh Perspective on Addiction, Conscious Being, Awaken Your True Nature, and Conscious Creation, Five Steps to Embracing the Life of Your Dreams, as well as a co-author of their accompanying workbooks. He does it all. <laughs> TJ, welcome to Ageless. I'm so delighted to have you on the show today. Thank you, Jaina. Wow, reading that, hearing that bio, I'm like, I, I've been busy. <laughs> you have been busy. You are so layered. It's like, where do we even begin? Good question. <laughs> <laughs> well, what I wanted to talk to you today about is something I feel we can all relate to, and that is toxic relationships and how to release ourselves from them. Yeah. You know, when when we think about toxic, toxic relationships, we hear so much about it now in our culture. And generally, when people talk about toxic relationships, they tend to focus on the other person. Is this person toxic and how do I get them out of my life? I like to talk about it in a little different and perhaps deeper way so that we can actually do some deeper healing. So where does the toxicity begin? Toxicity really begins early in our lives where we come into the world. Well, we come into the world, in my experience, as whole and perfect beings, very open, loving, present. You know, I was taking a walk on the Venice Canals yesterday and there was this baby laughing and that, you know, probably I would guess 18 months old and the laughter and the joy coming from this child. It just reminded me that's who we are. And then we end up being programmed by the world, not usually consciously, but we get programmed to believe we're broken or damaged in some way. So that toxicity starts really young. And when we start believing lies about ourselves, I'm not lovable, I'm not good enough, I'm not worthy, we start to go out into the world and unconsciously replicate that over and over and over again, and they show up as toxic relationships. If you're stuck in a toxic relationship, do you try to fix it or do you just get out? Like, what does that look like? Well, it's interesting because so many times people ask the question, should I stay or should I go? And there's so many questions before it. Clearly, we're not talking about something that is overt abuse, like somebody hitting you or someone abusing you in some way. Obviously, the answer there is to remove yourself from the situation. But in most cases, we often think, oh, this person is toxic. I need to move on. And then we find ourselves in a relationship that feels really different. And maybe six months or one year in, suddenly it starts to feel familiar. So I think the question isn't as much, should I stay or should I go? It's really, what 
is required of me to do some deeper healing so that I can look at not only the other person's behavior and what I might label as toxic, but also what within me needs to be healed so that I'm vibrating at a different frequency and honestly making different choices. And sometimes just that shift of focus actually starts to heal not only the internals of our life, but also the relationship itself. So what steps would you recommend we take? You know, I... Um, a wise person once said there are three steps, awareness, awareness, and awareness. And I love that. <laughs> love that. Yeah. I mean, it's actually a friend of mine. She came to speak at my spiritual center years ago, and she said, my talk today is this. There are three steps to growth, awareness, awareness, and awareness. Let's do questions and answers. <laughs> I thought that was brilliant <laughs> because, you know, it is aware of what's actually getting touched within me, aware of what's wanting to heal, aware of if this is some kind of core false belief or a wound within me that's being touched and what is required of me to heal rather than thinking if this person just changes, then I can be happy. So I know that some toxic relationships are fueled by addiction and alcoholism. Can we talk about that? I mean, I have firsthand experience with a relationship like that. I actually was in a relationship for seven years that started as a bond over drugs and alcohol and then just became this, uh, I just gave myself away. Like I lost all of me and it took me years to get just to take my life back and, you know, to heal. I feel like it was an inside job, um, but it took me a lot of lessons and a lot of mistakes to like really find the gold in, in all of that. So, you know, I love your outlook and your methods and your path to healing. You know, I feel like it's truly a detox. So I know I just put a lot on the table, but you know, how, how does alcohol and drugs and addiction like play a, play a role in toxic relationships? Like, what does that look like? Well, there are layers, as you said, to this question, right? Because on, on one hand, we could say um, drugs and alcohol are a problem. And if my person that I'm in a relationship with is in their active addiction, their primary relationship is really with the substance or the behavior. It's not really with me, right? So that's on one hand. But in conscious recovery, which is the method I developed, um, we have a very different point of view about what addiction is. We view addiction as a brilliant strategy that's managing something. And usually that's trauma, disconnection, and shame. I identify those as the root causes. So if I'm myself in a relationship and I find myself overusing or becoming addicted, there's something for me to look at in terms of, you know, is it time for me to get into recovery? Is it time for me to not use drugs and alcohol in this way? When you're talking about being in a relationship with someone, and it sounds like in your case, that was right out of the gate, right? There was that. But for some people, it's like, well, when I when I got together with this person, they weren't drinking and using, and suddenly they started to, right? So there are some layers to this. Um, I don't think there's ever one answer, right? I think sometimes the, the answer absolutely is to unplug, leave the relationship and start doing some healing. But sometimes it's something that can actually be healed while in the relationship. And I wish I could say, here's the, here's the three absolute signs that you should stay and work on yourself in the relationship. And here's the three absolute signs that you should leave and do the healing. But it's, as we know, not that simple. So what if you are in a relationship with an addict 
and you're not one yourself, like what would be the best steps to take to heal the problem? Well, I think um, I always start with, is this a relationship that I want to work on? Is this a relationship that is valuable enough to me to work on this, right? Um, when we're in that sort of that classic, if you will, relationship where one person is what we would label as an addict and the other person is not, I think the tendency is to think, oh, if this person could just stop drinking and using, then everyone would be happy. We want to go a little deeper and I want to be really careful how I talk about this because there is a part of each of us that chooses the relationships because they confirm the core false belief. So what do I mean by that? If I believe I'm unworthy, let's actually, let's say if I believe I'm unlovable, I will walk into a room and I will vibrate with that frequency of unlovable and we will find each other across a crowded room, right? Someone who will confirm that core false belief. And so we find ourselves in these relationships that are unsatisfying, but we've chosen them. This is why I said I want to be careful. We're not blaming ourselves for that. That's not going to be useful. We're looking at, oh, isn't it interesting that I chose this? Quite often, it's something out of our family history. Maybe one parent was addicted. We're trying to heal something from our past. So again, there's not one answer that you should stay or go from the relationship. I think it is fair to say to someone, um, I want to be in this relationship with you. And when you're drinking and using, this is how it feels for me. But ultimately, the work is, is from in, the inside out, not the outside in. I love that, the inside out, because that truly is the deal. That's been my experience, at least. I've been vocal on this podcast that I've struggled with addiction and alcoholism for over a decade Um in and out of recovery. And I'm sober today and I'm super grateful for that. And, you know, my journey back hasn't been easy. My journey back to sobriety hasn't been easy. And uh, I've finally found myself today in a healthy relationship, probably the first healthy relationship I've ever been in. And I am in my 40s. So, you know, I, I honestly, I owe everything to sobriety. I owe everything to the people that came before me that have given me just the courage to, to show up every day, just 24 hours a day and stay sober. But back to the toxic relationships, when you were talking about unlovable and, um, you know, connecting with somebody and, and, and all of that, I just, I was just taken back to just the knowing that I was in a toxic relationship, knowing it was unhealthy, but feeling like I had nowhere else to go, like this was still my person. And that was the scariest part of the relationship for me, knowing that it was wrong, but knowing that I was so in love and I had to stay. That was the scariest part. I couldn't leave. I was felt stuck. I couldn't leave. Yeah, because the unconscious pull toward being in a relationship to confirm the core false belief. And again, we're not talking about blame like this is, oh, this is bad that I'm doing it. It's information, right? It's like I, I chose a series of relationships in my early recovery. These were beautiful people, but these guys could not have been less. They could not have been less available for me. And I won't mm -hmm. get into details, but let's just say five relationships in a row of people who were wonderful humans, but just could not not be available to me. And I realized after, you know, the fifth one, oh, maybe it's something that I'm doing, but 
I didn't realize yet at the time, it was more about the shame that I felt. Um, I felt unworthy, I felt broken, and I felt damaged. So I was choosing these people, and on the surface, they seemed like wonderful people. So there was a pull, like I felt like I couldn't get out because I was so enamored. I was so, um, honestly, it was um, intoxicating, right? It was this pull, it was so seductive to be in these relationships where I was trying to get them to love me, but I would find myself over and over again coming to the conclusion, see, it's true, I'm not lovable. The, here's the evidence. I keep choosing these relationships. And for me, I had to take some time to not be in relationships so that I could start to look at something that's happening within me, not so much, oh, let me go find a healthier relationship because I wasn't capable of it. And that's not a bad thing or a wrong thing. It's just where I was at. Um, Krishnamurti says the highest form of human intelligence is to see ourselves without judgment. So I needed to look at myself and be accountable for it, but not say, oh, I'm, see, look, it keeps happening because I'm broken, right? It's a, it's, it's, it's a nuanced, but really different way of working with it because shame doesn't heal shame. I think that's beautiful. And I loved that quote. Can you tell me that again? Yeah, it's Krishnamurti. And he says, the highest form of human intelligence is to see ourselves without judgment. I think that's beautiful. I think that's what it's all about too, about having that self-love and not being so rigid or hard on ourselves. Yeah, because that's that's the way I was with myself for so many years. And, you know, we, we were talking about sobriety. And, you know, I think if we look at drugs and alcohol as the problem, then when we get sober, we should say, well, the problem's gone, so I'm great. But if we see drugs and alcohol as a solution to something, or as I call a brilliant strategy, we take away the drugs and alcohol. And that's where the work begins, because I'm no longer numbing. I'm no longer grabbing for that to feel different than I am, differently than I am. I'm actually left with myself. And there's so many different ways to distract. And for me, I was 18 months sober and suicidal. And I needed to do something. I needed to turn within and do some of the deeper work. And that was my journey. And my hope for people is we don't have to go that long in recovery or in therapy or on a spiritual journey that we can actually, we do have the capability of doing the deeper work. I have a similar story, so I can absolutely relate to where you were at. I was in a really, really debilitating depression and having suicidal ideations that, and I'm not a suicidal person, but that's just where I went. And I had to go so much deeper than I was going um, and I was completely sober when I was in this depression. And unfortunately, I relapsed. Um, but it was just, you know, there's other reasons why, but I am still uncovering those. You know, it's 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 a journey without an end date, you know, we it's constantly evolving. And I know you probably relate to that, but I wanted to talk more about your conscious recovery method in treating addiction? Like how do you begin to change yourself if you're in the struggle or know someone that's in the struggle that you really love, that you want to support or help, you know, um, that struggles with alcohol or drug addiction? Well, 
it actually is the perfect segue because conscious recovery in so many ways was born out of my experience of being 18 months sober, roughly. It's a little vague, but somewhere around 18 months to two years. And that that since, like you, I, I hadn't ever been a suicidal person. That's not re really where I go. That's not my go-to. But I felt so hopeless. And I felt like all of these relationships were so painful. Like it was just so painful for me. And I met a woman who changed my life and she took me on a journey of recovery. And that's really where my shift began, where I started looking at what are the actual deeper root causes of addiction and also a starting point. And this became uh, the founding principle of conscious recovery. And that is underneath all addictive behavior, there is an essential self that's whole and perfect. And that's really, that was my journey. It was a journey of realizing that recovery wasn't about moving towards something. It was about what needs to be unlearned so that I can rediscover that place within me that still is whole and perfect that I came into the world as. So unlearning and reconnecting with that is the foundation of conscious recovery. I had to close my eyes when you were speaking because I just... I just had to breathe in everything that you were saying. That is so beautiful. And I I relate just being conscious, being present, being aware. Um, it's this moment is the only moment we have. And I have to catch myself all the time. You know, I'm either stuck in the past, just thinking and overthinking and overthinking it, or, you know, reaching out towards the future and the what if, and, and it's just, it's pointless. You know, it's so hard for me to just be, and that's what I've been able to get back in sobriety is just that present moment. And that's where I feel like that's where my higher power comes in for me is in that quiet moment of stillness in, in the present moment, that's when God comes in. So for me, yeah, and that's and that's that experience is always available when I'm willing to be present. But for me, um, you know, the paradigm back then, and I know, you know, it's changed a lot. But the paradigm back then was like, don't worry about anything, but not drinking. Your life is a miracle. Now go help someone else. Yeah. Right. And I was like, but I literally want to die. And like, right. what do I do with that? Right. And and I know that I know that um certainly because I got sober in 1986. So certainly like. We've evolved a lot, um, but there still has been a focus, I feel, on like not actually addressing the underlying root causes, but just like, just don't drink. Um, a lot of the narrative that we have in recovery that I'm broken or I'm damaged and I don't know how to live life. I want to question all of that and say, what if there's a place within you that's infinite? What if there's a place within you that is unharmed and unharmable? And how can that connection with that and that understanding of that allow us to actually heal the root causes. And as I said, for me, it's unresolved trauma, spiritual disconnection, and toxic shame. I was just talking about that this morning with my partner. And I said, you know, that's, that's actually what ageless means to me. It's not so much about aesthetics. That could be a piece because <laughs> that's always fun. But ageless to me is um, I believe our spirits are eternal, so we're ageless, and that's where the name came from. Um, but just looking at that is like when I think from that place, because I know in the deep bowels of my soul that there is something greater than human power out there that wants nothing but the best for me. And when I can think upon the idea of an eternal spirit, then I 
I only know the language of love. Like I just instantly get connected to love. And when I'm in the present moment, I get to go there. So I love that you brought that up about being as being an eternal being. Yeah. And I love that you, the way you framed all of that, because yes, there is this idea that there's this loving power out there and there's also a loving power within me. And it's really who we are, right? Going back to that child yesterday and that laughter is just this bubbling laughter. And that's who we are innately. And it's interesting that everything we're looking for in recovery or in a spiritual journey or going to therapy is really innate in the human experience. We want to be more present. We want to be more loving. We want to feel our feelings. All those things we're looking for is how we came in, right? So we're searching to like, how do I, how do I be more present? How do I learn to feel my feelings? And that's who we are. That's it's literally how we came in before we were programmed. So in so many ways, it's about the unprogramming. It's about questioning every belief or idea I've ever had, everything I've been taught about myself in the world, what it means to be my gender, my race, my orientation, all of it, right? Let's question all of it and then remember who we really are. And, and I think that's what you're saying is like those moments of absolute presence and there's only love. And that's what all the spiritual teachers have come to say. It's so simple in some ways. It's so simple. Everybody pretty much says the same thing. And I see, you know, that's why I never really reject the idea of religion. I may not agree with everything, but each entity is, is just the language of love. And so I respect that. I would never, you know, even though I don't feel like I'm a religious person, I feel like I'm a spiritual person. Um, I just, I never reject the idea of religion just because of that idea alone is that they all have the same commonality and that's love. Yeah. I remember at one point in my journey, I'm like, love, what's the core message of all these religions? And it was at the core of it. It was the same. And the issue with religions is we get in our mind about it. Right. So like in a perfect world, a religion is like a framework to help people have a spiritual experience, but we get lost in the, in the, the, you know, and that's true in recovery circles, right? You hear people that are like, there's only one path to recovery and here it is. And it's on page such and such. Right. And I, I yeah. know cause I was that person cause I had yeah, to heal a lot of my trauma. Right? <laughs> so, and that, that rigidity that I had, and I'm not talking about anyone but me, but that rigidity I had came, um, came from my own fear um, and I think some some religions fall into that. They're trying to create a framework and it ends up being a, a theology or a construct. And I love what Eckhart Tolle says. We're entering an era that's beyond concepts and ideology. And it's like ooh, beyond ooh. concepts and ideology. Right. So it's not really in the mind. It's in the experience. And that's why we hear people say we're spiritual, but not religious. Right. Because. We're, we're really just saying we want to move out of an idea and into an experience of love. Yeah. And like you said, reconnect the part of us that is whole and perfect. I love that. I love that. And unharmable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Look up hashtag unharmable. We started a whole movement around it, but that's, a, that's maybe a different conversation. No, let's do it. Unharmable. I love that. Yeah, I mean, my friend Jeremy Miller and I, we, we really started looking at like, what are the common themes? You know, I've written three books and whether it's conscious recovery, conscious being the, the theme, the, the thread of all of them is there's a place within us that's unharmed and unharmable. And to understand that and to recognize that there's a place within us that's unharmable as a starting point, 
imagine, you know, I love it because it's like a ripple effect out into the world where people are starting to understand that. And that's a very different starting point. You know, we hear people say, well, they're not ready to address their trauma. They're not ready to do this right now. Just don't worry about anything, but just get sober. Just, you know, stabilize yourself. And people use spiritual practice that way too. Like, let me meditate. It's starting to feel painful, right? And if I see there's a place within me that's unharmable as a starting point, then I can actually start to heal some of those things that felt so scary before. I think that's like inner child versus spirit, because I feel like my spirit is not movable. Like it, it's like you said, unharmable. But the inner child now she's been kicked around. She's been broken. She's been knocked down and drug out. And that is who I'm healing. But my spirit, that's a whole different ballgame. That's a whole different entity. And that's how I've been able to tap into um, the idea of, you know, this body that I was given, this is just a learning tool. This is all it is. My spirit is an, on a totally different plane. So if I can just learn what I need to learn here and whatever that next life looks like, I trust that it's going to be nothing but love. And so I look forward to that, whatever that looks like. We're not, maybe we're not supposed to know, but I do have this innate belief that there is something more. Well, and, and the something more is available to us now. Right. We don't even have to wait till the next chapter. We can have that experience now. And I love what you brought into the conversation because the, the, the work of healing is that inner child. Like you said, it's like those at a very tender age, we developed these wounds, um, whether we had what we would call overt or covert abuse, just being born on planet Earth where we're, you know, I remember being a little kid and just lying and looking up at the heavens and the stars and thinking there's something so vast and it felt so loving. And then on TV, I was watching war and I was hearing, you know, my grandfather saying really racist stuff and the way women were treated around me. And like, it was all, it felt like it was crushing my spirit. Um, and that's where I developed these core false beliefs about myself. So the healing is healing that inner child. And I love that we're talking about from a place of knowing that, there, that spirit is unmovable and unharmable, and that healing is possible when I'm coming from that place. We're not talking about bypassing the experience. I love that. You're saying, you know, it's yes, I have this infinite being, and I have this what seems to be a wounded child, and now I get to integrate those and heal, heal that. Absolutely. So tell me, where can we find you? Where can we follow you to get more? tjwoodward.com. That's where you can find all my uh, social media links and my videos and courses and books. That's the, the best way to find me. Perfect. Are you, are your books available on Amazon? They are. Yes. Yeah. All the books and the workbooks. I love it. I will also put all of that information in the show notes so that we can get after you a little bit more. We, I've just really loved this conversation with you and this show. And I just really appreciate your heart and your transparency and just who you are. I love your energy. I really do. Oh, thank you, Jana. I love yours too. This has been really, really amazing. There's nothing more I love than coming together and having these authentic conversations. So I appreciate you. Yeah, likewise. And I can tell that this 
This is just, it's who you are. It just comes so effortlessly. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Ageless. Don't forget to rate and subscribe. Tune in next week for a new episode.